Are you a hairdresser or barber? Do you want to take your career to the next level but unsure how? Then this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to The Successful Stylist Unfoiled. I'm your host, Crystal Wilson. I've worked in the hair and beauty industry for the last 10 years, working my way up through some of the largest salons from each corner of the globe. Throughout my career, I've always been infatuated with the industry influencers, the people who have been able to make a name for themselves and have a flourishing career as a hairstylist. On this podcast, I'll be sitting down and talking to hair and beauty professionals who have taken their career to the next level. The ones who have gone from working behind the chair to exploring another avenue within the industry. From the platform artists, educators, business owners, TV and celebrity stylists, published, self-employed, brand-sponsored, and more, I'm sitting down and asking them how they've done it. I know these accolades can seem unattainable, so I'm making it my mission to break down the barriers, stereotypes, and simplify the process to make the dreams that you have more attainable. Join me every week on The Successful Stylist Unfoiled. It was my lucky day today. I have dreamt of this since the day I started my podcast. And actually, my guest today is someone who has really inspired me to do this podcast. I caught him on um, an Instagram live with Lisa Messenger and the interview process and the conversation and it then led me to her podcast is really what started this for me and made me want to talk to people and learn more and realize that people want to share and are happy to share. So somebody who shares so much with our industry and has really changed a lot of the ways I think the industry runs and education and all of the photos that our clients are bringing are from this man. So Jay Edwards is my guest today, and I am so honored and um, flattered to have him on. And I think we cover so many topics that are so much more than just hair, because that is what I think he's known for is this business model in these outrageous salons that seem like, oh my God, how are you doing this? So he walks us through beginning, middle, and the whole thing of how he got to where he is. He has eight salons right now, an education company product company foil and there's just so much and I think sometimes we can be like oh my god like I have ideas that I actually don't know how to translate them into reality so if anyone can do it it's Jay so yeah I just am so grateful that I finally got to pick his brain and ask the questions I hope that we've all been wanting to know so dive in it was amazing you know one thing that is good I guess about lockdown which we're currently in yet again is having the time to do these and have a distraction so I really hope that these conversations bring some joy or some positive thought or some motivation to somebody because that's what it's doing for me and I think that that was something that it allowed him to do today too so dive in me and Jay. Today is my lucky day. I'm so excited. I'm sitting down with Jay Edwards, the one and only. How are you going? How are you feeling? What's the latest? I'm doing good. Um, I'm a little frustrated, but I'm I'm optimistic today. <laughs> good. I was like, you know what? On a Sunday, I think it's not something that I would normally do and and spend the time doing this sort of stuff. But I think it's really important to have things to distract us and to keep conversations, maybe not about what's happening. We're both in Melbourne. We're in lockdown number five. And to just have something else and something positive is really 
why I actually started this podcast was during my first lockdown experience. And it feels good to have something to keep me going right now. And I hope that I can do that for other people, give them an hour of distraction. And people love talking about themselves, I think. So hopefully that will be good. I definitely do. (laughs) Well, firstly, I actually was doing a little reminiscing while I was setting up for this interview with you. And I have had notes for you and I since I started the podcast, because actually- What started this for me was listening to you and Lisa Messenger. No way. Yes. So my last lockdown, you know, a year and however long ago it was, I would listen to her podcast while I was going. And the only way I came on to her was from your IGTV that you did with her. Yeah. And I found her so inspiring and so motivating and like this woman in power and listening to that podcast and then a few other ones I'd never listened to podcasts before so I yeah. would like I'm to say you know, she's incredible yeah so you really lighted this fire lit this fire in me I would say so it's full circle having you on so thank you oh thank you so much <laughs> so I think that it would be silly to assume that people wouldn't know who you are but my audience base because I am from Canada is a little bit broader so Although we might know some of the facts, I would love for you to give us a little intro to yourself. And I always ask how you got into the hair industry. But the thing I'm most excited, I think, not only to talk about hair with you is to talk about business, because I think that's something that you're renowned for. And I can't wait for that. But give us a little bit about you. Um, should I start? I'll start with my name. My name is Jay Edwards. I'm the owner and founder of Edwards & Co Salons. I'm in more recently Jay Hair Care. Um, I ha- currently have eight salons across three different states, soon to be nine salons across four different states. Um, I started Edwards & Co eight years ago. Um, my first one was in Sydney and then I expanded into Melbourne and then I opened another in Sydney and then I opened in Gold Coast, Byron Bay, Brisbane, um, I've opened another one in Sydney since I've done a collaboration with Mecca. Um, so I have quite a, quite a bit going on. Um, I, how did I get into the hair industry? I left home when I was 15. I ran away from my parents. I ran away from this small town I grew up in, which is a town called Young. Don't go there. Um, and I got on a train, went to Sydney, stole money from my dad's safe. I'm not sure if he ever found out. <laughs> And I didn't have a job. I met someone online, which was so naive of me at that time, being so young. Um, But thankfully, they were very supportive and a very good friend. Um, And they helped me get my first job at a hair salon because I didn't know what else to do. I had no qualifications. Um, I had no experience. I'd never worked before other than my dad's pub at the time. Um, And that's when I started my hairdressing apprenticeship. Oh my God. Amazing. I think it's so interesting that so many people who end up being so successful in this industry actually didn't have that innate thing that they always wanted to be a hairdresser. It's something that they've fallen into. But what I love about this industry is that there's so many avenues within it that you can take this as your foundation and now take that into product and business and all of these things that you wouldn't have maybe been able to do or known how to begin it had you not started in hair if you just went into business and went to uni for business yeah totally I I just I don't think that like if I had gone to uni and started business that I don't think my business would be any better than what it is now yeah um I think that it's, it's better because I didn't learn a textbook um business model if that makes sense 
Now, I guess just getting to the beginning of it, how did you get to opening a salon? Like, it seems your journey is very compressed, I think. Like, you got into the industry and then you were a salon owner and that's not everybody's step. And getting that financial backing and things like that, where did that kind of come from for you and how were you able to do that? So initially I finished my apprenticeship. Um, I did the best part of it with a lady called Kathy Gilbert, an incredible colorist. I mean, a great boss as well. Um, I stayed with her about a year after I finished my apprenticeship. So back then my apprenticeship was four years. So I stayed with her for a year after. And then she decided to go and open her own space because she was a chair renter inside a, um, like a co-op hair salon. Okay. And I worked directly for her. So she left to open open her own and I chose to stay in the the chair rent salon and rent a chair there. Ah. Six months later, the owners had decided that they were going to retire and offered for me to buy in, which I accepted, but didn't sign any legal contracts and had nothing protecting me. So I gave them um, over the course of one year, $50,000. And then a month later, there was no salon. Um, So I lost all that money. So they just shut the doors. Um, I found out they were shutting the doors and I left before they did. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, I was 21 at that point, 20, like nearly 22. So it was a lot, it was a lot to take in. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, Who has that money at that age anyway? (laughs) No one. Right. And I had paid them like a weekly amount of money so I could like own it. Right. Oh my gosh. So I left that place and I found a beautiful space, which is my Kipak street salon in Sydney. And I went into overdrive. So I had five credit cards at that time, all amounted probably, probably added up to like $40,000 in credit cards. I also had a business partner for my first salon. Okay. Um, so she helped put in half the money. In total, it probably cost around $120,000 to build that salon. Oh my God. And, and how did you find the business partner? Like, was that somebody who- She was actually someone who worked in the salon that I was at. So also a hairdresser. Yeah. They were actually working for the people that owned uh-huh. it. Okay. Yeah. So she was kind of done over a little bit as well. Anyway, so we decided, and I'm lucky enough to have a very supportive cousin. So she gave me a little bit of money. Um, She's been, she's been that voice in my head since I was probably like 13 that told me I can do anything I want. Yeah. Um, So she's a really important person to me. Um, Her name's Beth. So we opened the first Edwards and Co. And it was probably the hardest time of my life. Even to like even more stressful than the COVID period. Really? Um, you know, we had we had spent an enormous amount of money. Yeah. Um, and and at that point, you wouldn't have known it was going to work out. Whereas now, you probably have that backing of like, look what I've done. Like nothing, you know, nothing can take me back to that. Like I've done all yeah. of this. So yeah, I get you. I'm pretty. I when we open new salons, now, I'm always very confident that they will work because I believe yeah. like with good hairdressers comes great clients, right? Um, But three months into that, I actually bought out my business partner. Um, She had a very different idea of what the business should be to what I did. And, you know, I wanted a high-end, beautiful salon that you would walk in and people would go, wow. And they wouldn't go just wow at the space. They would go, wow, at what you're drinking from. They would go, wow, at the flowers you have on the desk. They would go, wow, at the beautiful greenery you had in the salon. So everything had to be wow. But she was about cutting costs, and okay. I'm not very good with cutting costs. I was going to say, I think that's the opposite of how I would describe <laughs> you, <laughs> from what I know. I, yeah, I really suck at it. Um, so I kind of just said, and by that point, I had trademarked Edwards and Co. In, in my name, and I just said to her, "Look, I'm happy to walk away. 
um, I have nothing to lose now. Like yeah. I've done it. I just did it six, uh, six months ago. I can do it again. Um, so I said, I can give you all of the money back that you put in um, other, and then you can go on your merry way. So I used to actually use a lending company by this point called Prosper, which okay. is like a second tier lending company. And I still use them today. Um, and they lent me the money to pay her out, which I oh, did. Wow. <laughs> so ballsy. I love this. Um, and have you always had an eye for design and for those high-end finishes? Like, is that something that comes naturally to you that, you know, in your own house or your own life that, or did you have to outsource that to somebody? Um, you know, I, when I think back to when I was like 2021, 20, I, I had like a style which has mm. adapted and changed over the last while. And now it's a lot more refined. Like I have a very distinct taste in yeah. how I want things to look. Like everything's very um, minimalistic, very simple, really beautiful, like soft finishes. Like even in the salon I'm in now, it's very plain, but everything kind of is really high contrast, like the black beams, the yeah. tables are like compressed concrete sheets. Then it's got a black frame around it, like things like that. And I'm always looking at like, affordable materials that are hard like hard wearing that lasts a long time because yeah. in my opinion and I've made this mistake before there is no point in putting a marble slab on a bench shop in a fucking hair salon <laughs> if I work there especially because I'm the messiest little pig ever <laughs> I'm so messy yeah like I'm, within a day you're gonna have color on it and it might stain yeah and you spent twenty thousand dollars on a slab of marble don't totally. do that I remember for the salon that I worked at at home, I got this amazing opportunity to go into their boutique salon in Saks Fifth Avenue. So it was like exactly that marble, the chairs were white. And I remember walking in being like, <laughs> why are you putting me in here? Like, you have to be practical. I literally looked at his name, his job, the owner. I was like, did you seriously buy white chairs? I'm the only colorist that works here. This It's not going to work for me. We had to get plastic things to put on all the chairs because of right. me. Yeah. Yes. That's so funny. So how did that go? That initial process, buying out your ori yeah. original business partner, when, yeah. how did you go about getting staff? Did you get staff? Were you, what, how do you yeah. even know where to begin with that? So at that point in time, I, I were a freelance only salon. Um, so that's oh. how Edward Zinkra started. I didn't know uh, that. And okay. Yeah. I had six people who were also my friends um, who rented a chair or, on, or were on commission or however they wanted to work it. Which is not very about, common here. As far as oh. I know, when I came over, I was in for a rude awakening into the fact that it was mostly hourly rates. So that's quite unconventional already, you yeah. starting off like that. Do you think that's because yeah. you started um, your apprenticeship, say, with that lady that was a chair renter? Yeah, mm. I think it is. I mean, the, rea the reality is I wanted to create a beautiful space where my friends could work and we'd have a happy work environment. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to create a brand. But if I was just a freelance salon, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to scale it, especially yeah. if I was funding myself, which is why I changed the model to be partially freelance, but majority employee. Okay. And we still offer everything now. So we have chair rent, we have commission freelance, we have employee. Um, and soon we might, well, it depends, but I'm working on a booth rent salon. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm still like, I'm still unsure of that idea and purely because why would you not just want to rent a chair inside a beautiful space where there's a team rather yeah. than being in your own booth alone? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense to me right now. So it's I'm kind of something that's that very common 
from not for me at home in Canada, but in North America, in America, it's huge there. And all these things what go through my head too. Of I actually remember having this conversation in your class a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love that you you always seem to have be ahead of the curve a little bit and having something quite different to the norm within Australia. So with the salons and the design, do you have somebody in doing that to make it unique? Because they are so unique. Yeah, no, I do them all myself. Um, okay. The only one I haven't done is Brisbane Fortitude Valley. Okay. I used a designer called Amanda Jarvis um, to do that one. And she was amazing and made everything so much easier. Um, like, honestly, it was so easy. But then also I've used a builder to build my Fitzroy salon okay. and he didn't require any drawings. He was like, I'm happy just to work with you and you can tell me what we want and I'll build it for you. That was also really easy. So I guess it depends on the person that you're using to help build. Um, I mean, Crown Street's my biggest salon and it's like, it's 430 square meters. Wow. Um, and I just, I didn't use a designer. I just, you know, ordered my mirrors that I wanted, ordered the basins that I wanted, drew it up on a piece of paper with some pencil and showed the builder and he built it. Oh God, um, cool. So I guess it depends how you want to work and stuff. And I, when in Brisbane, I had to put in a, a DA, like a development application. I had to change of use and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when you do that, you kind of do have to use an interior designer. But I've been lucky enough to not have to do any DAs in most of my salons. Because you uh, buy them as warehouses and completely empty spaces? I don't buy them. I wish I could. Oh, I just need them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just... I guess the the thing is, if it's retail use, you don't really need to put in a DA. Yeah. Um, it depends on the council and what area you're in. And there's so many loopholes around it. If you're using builders that always work with the council, all that kind of stuff. I've always um, found that interesting when people rent the space, because obviously that is more the norm than not. But how do you go about, like, say you you put all your basins in and you make it this whole hair salon. If you're only renting it, what do you do when you want to move? Like, how do you get your, do you just have the client profit and the um, product sales profit being what's your profit there if you're paying rent all the time? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, I mean, because if I was to buy it, even the building I'm in now, it's probably worth $6 million, which I oh, definitely wow. don't have. Yeah. Um, so I guess you sign like a 10 year lease, like we're on a five plus five here. Um, and the rent here is actually really good. Um, so yeah, you just rely on the sales of the retail and the services yeah. um, and rent's just a, a normal cost. That you're every, I guess you're used to having it. Something that I think when you're an employee, sometimes you don't think about, like you feel like everything's going to them and you realize, oh, they actually have out, outsourcing costs 100%. that I'm, I'm quickly learning now that I am out on my own. I'm like, oh, well, all of that money's going over there. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like a common thing. And don't get me wrong. I don't believe it's the employee's responsibility to yeah. know any of that information. Yeah. I don't believe in putting that onto them because that is the employer's responsibility because they own the salon. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, like my Crown Street salon is $22,000 a month to rent. Oh my gosh. So there are huge costs involved I've in, been in creating big, beautiful spaces, you know, and Brisbane costs like, $500,000 to oh build. And, that's and how like did you go <laughs> from having them in one location? So you're like, okay, Sydney's where I've started. It's quite ambitious to them be like, oh, I'm going to open it in a place where I don't live. And especially now it's really 
what a situation, yeah. but did, was the plan to kind of stay in, how did that transition from one into 10? So I was, I built, I was traveling to Melbourne to do clients and renting a chair in another salon. Oh. Um, I just built a clientele through Twitter. Um, I was doing Lara Bingle. A hair clientele through Twitter. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I was doing Lara Bingle's hair, now known as Lara Worthington. Um, and I still do her hair. And I guess with her being like my A-lister client, um, she kind of helped build a, help build me really. Yeah. Um, so I built a hair clientele through Twitter, started traveling down for like six months. And then I was like, why don't I just open a salon here? Um, and that was my second salon. So I opened one in Melbourne CBD on Punch Lane. Um, it was a one first floor office space that I converted into a hair salon. And then six months after that, the second floor came available. So I took that floor as well. Oh my God, cool. Um, it was really cool. Any, um, you go. No, you go, you go. I was going to say, is there any point where the growth is too big? Like, have you done too much too quick and had an error in that? Yeah, of course. There's been multiple occasions where I'm like, fuck, I shouldn't have done that. And I've lost a lot of money um, or I've made like just made mistakes, you know. And I think that it's so important that we do make mistakes so that we learn. Um, because if, if you're protected from making all these mistakes, you're never going to learn anything. Um, but no mistake has ever made me go, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I have like fleeting moments at times, especially during COVID. And like a couple of weeks ago, I was having like a mental breakdown mm-hmm. um, where I was like, this is fucked. This is fucked. Like, I can't do this. This is too hard. I'm going to go yeah. broke. I, I'm going to end up to where I started, um, which, you know, if I do, if that ever happens, it's not that bad. Like I always have my own skill to fall back on. Exactly. You have your brain. Your brain is what did this and got you here. Yes, you have people around you helping you make those visions happen. But at the end of the day, it's your ideas. Yeah. Your brain It is hard to like think like that when you're stuck in your own head. Totally. Totally. Especially, I mean, I think it is important for people to know that even people who have what seems like a really extravagant life and the money to do that from all these salons that, you know, you still feel like that. Those things don't change. Having that self-doubt is universal, I think, for everybody. Absolutely. It's so real. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what a wild time. So how did you go? Because I think something for me, I'm a color specialist and who I look to when I am looking for education and things online was you and your brand. And I found your education videos easy to follow, easy to understand. Foiling is something that never, ever came naturally to me. I've been a freehand girl from the day I started on the floor in Canada that I moved here and everybody foiled. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so lost. Like it does, it doesn't make sense placement wise and all these things. And so you was something that came to me was all your Instagram videos, these little bite-sized videos that yeah. were so easy to understand. So how did all those concepts of education start? Cause I think that's something you're most known for really is yeah. your education system. Yeah. So, I mean, there's two, with two parts to our education, we have internal and external. Yeah. Um, so the external, the internal started first um, and I probably in our second maybe third year, we started to build an internal curriculum. And at the same time, um, people from outside Edwards and Co were asking for us to hold classes and to educate the way we color hair. Um, And at that time I had Michael Kelly um, start with me. He was my education director for, I think four years. And he was um, 
amazing. He was so good and helps me grow the education part so, so fast and so well. Um, so he focused on the internal, I focused on the external. Um, and then we started scheduling classes and people were buying tickets and we would sell out. Um, and I, my mind was blown. Like, I was like, what? You all want to learn how we, why? Um, (laughs) and then we just kept scheduling more classes. And then we got, we like scheduled classes in LA in New York and Chicago and San Diego, um, in Canada, in Toronto. Um, and then we sold, they all sell. And I was just like, what the fuck? Do you think um, that that was a key to actually setting dates rather than waiting for the requests to come to you, actually yeah. putting it out there and setting them as classes with tickets, with dates rather than waiting for them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the best thing we did was just set dates. And if they sold, they sold it. They didn't, they didn't. We had yeah. a threshold of like what was profitable and what wasn't. So for an international class, if we didn't sell 15 tickets, we would cancel it. If yeah. for a domestic, if we didn't sell 10, we would cancel. But we were selling like 40 or 50, oh my God, amazing. Um, which was amazing. And then in terms of like the online stuff, um, I started dating someone who was a videographer and he was like, why don't you just film tutorials? Yeah. He's like, like you would do great. Um, and he like, cause he first, he started filming my workshops and he was like, this is so cool. Like no one else is doing this. Why don't you just start filming the tutorials? So we started filming them and posting them. And I guess that's when my Instagram started like getting a lot of traction. Okay. Um, okay. And then I developed the Edmonton Co-Education website and was putting like more full length tutorials on there, which you can purchase for like $50 for one or like $80 for two or six, I don't know, whatever the prices yeah. are for three. Yeah. Um, and then that's that's like what I love to do now. My p- favorite thing is to educate and to teach, especially yeah. For, yeah. on a digital perspective. I just like filming tutorials, putting them on my Instagram because that's what sells my classes. Well, that's what I was going to say is that a lot of those tutorials are online for free. So what's the incentive and what do you feel like that is necessary to get people in your classes? Why do them for free when you're teaching yeah. the same technique? What's the, what's the point of difference of coming to the class when I can watch it on your Instagram for free? So I think like, um, there are two elements to this, right? Part of me, oh, I have a lot of people always wondering how did, how's he opening eight salons? Like, how's he doing that? Like, why? Yeah. I mean, I think it comes from a place of judgment and then a place of curiosity for others. Yeah. Um, so part of me putting these tutorials online was to show people why I have eight salons. Because you're actually good. Watch me color. the work that I can do. Mm. And I'm not afraid for anyone to judge me for it. The other part of it was if all of these people are investing in me and coming to my classes, then I should invest back in them. Um, so that's why I started, I do so much free education online. Um, and, you know, they're not full length. They are 20 minute tutorials where I do half of the head and then yeah. the other half, you kind of have to add up yourself. Right. Um, but if you buy a full length tutorial on the website, I do, I do both, both halves full length. You don't miss anything. But people are hungry to see it in real life. Firstly, because they want to see you fuck it up. (laughs) Or they- (laughs) You're nodding along and I'm like, no, wait, no, no. (laughs) It's true though, right? People come Mm. to my, I I think people like to come to my classes to see if I, if it is as easy as what I make it in the videos. Yeah. Um, And, you know, in my classes, I do proper color corrections. Yeah. I do things that I can fuck up on. Um, So I can show people how actually- simple hair can be yeah. um, because I think that it's everyone overcomplicates it 
and it's not meant to be complicated. Yeah. Um, so I think by giving them that free education, they get hungry to see it in real life. So it sells my classes too. Yeah. And I mean, we just had our biggest class ever. We sold a hundred tickets in Perth. Oh, wow. And that was amazing. Like I, it was such a, such a hoot. I got such a kick out of it. Um, I was meant to have a class today, actually, oh. of 70 people in Melbourne. Mm. Um, but that's postponed because of the lockdown. Um, well, I've got you so, instead to myself. <laughs> yeah. And the more tutorials I post online for free, the more my classes sell. That's incredible. And is that, like you said, that's what really brought your Instagram up? Because I think something you're so known for is your Instagram platform. And I mean, it's iconic. The things that everybody is bringing in those photos. So were that, yeah. was that look? Because I mean, really to me, and I could be totally wrong, but that face frame, that tight, you know, these words that you use, future-proofing, tip out, like yeah. everybody use, says that now. But to me, I yeah. learned that from watching you, like, did yeah. that come from you? Did you learn that from someone? How did these yeah. techniques come to life that there's, yeah. So I, I definitely learned it from someone. I won't take credit for that. Yeah. Um, when I traveled the US and I shadowed, I went to um, Mesh Salon with Tracy Cunningham uh, and Liz yeah. when she was working there. And I was lucky enough to see them both in action. And it was like, they don't use future proof. Like future proof is the term that I created because yeah. I've even trademarked future proof. I was going to say, I have that in my notes. <laughs> trademarked <laughs> um but the word tip out and like words like that i have taken from other colorists yeah um and the way they described it made sense like for me other people would call it a balayage and it's like that a balayage is a technique not a look <laughs> you don't have to tell me that that is no. my number one thing of being like yeah. balayage is freehand free yes. to sweep it's French like that's something that I was so instilled in me because I was trained by Candy Shaw that it's like I actually cannot yeah. get the words out that that is not what that is you know like yeah and like I I'm really like I don't like it when people call a highlight a balayage it's not fucking balayage it's a fucking highlight you put a root shadow on yeah um you know and like that's it's, that's how we charge in salon too so yeah. nothing is charged as a balayage unless you balayage you okay after charges highlights if you've highlighted it it's yeah. different work it takes different amounts of time and a different skill mm -hmm. um so i'm very passionate about that <laughs> I, <can feel> it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it now the shadowing is something that's so interesting and do you think that that um is something that now you implement in your salon and is an extra way of gaining profit how do you how do you judge what you're charging to have someone come in and shadow and what you paid to go watch someone shadow Oh, the shadowing in salon? Yeah. Um, so I have the only person I've ever shadowed personally is Liz Jung, Tracy Cunningham, and Sheree okay. Noble oh, yeah. um, in Australia. So I think it's highly, highly valuable for someone to come in and literally see someone work day to day because it's a one on one experience. And they like, for I do five to six colors in a day. Yeah. And then like Tracy was doing 20. Oh my God. And then Liz was, I think Liz did 12 all in one day. And I was like, how the fuck did America's a whole nother situation. A hundred percent. And it's because they have so many assistants, right? Yeah. Um, but and most of them work on commission. I mean, that's what made me hustle at home. I worked on commission. If I didn't have a client, I didn't get paid. So totally. Yeah. Which is so, so much harder to do that in Australia. Firstly, because like, I mean, there's so many reasons why. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, with the shadowing, like you would get, especially shadowing me in the salon, you don't just get the hair, it's the business part. It's watching me juggle yeah. the 30 phone calls I'll get during the day, the six clients I get, the people coming up. And I mean, my staff come up and like watch and ask questions. 
And we have that really safe environment at work where the client will know that anyone will come up to me and ask 101 questions. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Um, and we are a salon where we discuss everything. So if, you know, someone gets a color in and they aren't entirely sure how to go about it, that's not because they aren't, they aren't not skilled. It is just because they want a second opinion. Yeah. Um, so we really encourage yeah. that. And so I thought you get to see how the whole salon works with shadowing. Yeah, I think it's so valuable. But it's something that I've only recently, not that I, I've thought of it, but I never recently... I never knew until recently that we charge for it. Like I was doing, somebody asked to come shadow me and someone's like, well, what are you charging her? And I was like, what? I have to charge her. But she just wanted to come yeah. and watch. She's going to help me. I don't have an assistant. So this is great for me. And they're like, no, you yeah. charge. She's there picking your brain, learning from you, watching exactly that, the way yeah. that you operate. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess sometimes I don't feel okay charging someone to shadow. Um, I mean, I do charge them obviously, but it is a funny thing because they're in there then they're kind of helping you. Well, that's what uh, I thought. Yeah. So like I always will have an assistant with me, so I don't need that shadow to help. Mm. And I make that really clear. I'm like, you're not here to help me. I'm here to help you. Yeah. Like I'm here to give as much knowledge and information as possible. So no question is off limits. No matter what I'm doing, you can ask whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and I make that really, really clear because I want them to leave thinking that they got their value worth. Right. I never want a person who shadowed me to leave thinking that they got gypped. Yeah. Well, that's why I was, I don't think so. But why I was saying with the free education online, because I think a lot of people would look at that and be like, well, why do it? So I think it's really cool to hear the backside and how that actually leads to your ticket sales and things. Yeah. Like and I get like, I do a private class probably once a month. Um, and like, I love doing private classes because I get to go into the salon and they get to experience what I'm doing. I'm on a day-to-day -day basis and I, I get so many inquiries, but obviously I can't do them all yeah. um, because my schedule is so full. Um, so, I mean, that's really cool. And it's just nice to hang out with other hairstylists in their own environment. Yeah. And um, a different space than your own. That's where your brain probably starts rolling. Like, Oh, I never saw this before. That's something that I really yeah. like that I can implement, which is why that shadowing is important or the classes, yeah. that stuff that I have met a lot of salon owners that I would have never met otherwise if it weren't for me doing a class for them or with them and yeah. being like, oh my God, bosses like this exist. Like she's amazing. <laughs> I might come up. It was in Brisbane. I did one. She was the nicest lady. And I was like, oh my God, like it's just, yeah, those <laughs> things change your perspective. So yeah, moving into the next kind of phase for you is your hair care and foil and those types of things. And I am a person who has a list as long as my arm of things that I have thought of, but, or, you know, yeah. you watch Shark Tank or what, I don't know if that's a, as big of a show over here, but those types of shows. Every day. Okay. <laughs> those shows. And I'm like, fuck, like I had that idea. Or how do you now go from having the idea to turning it into a reality of your product line or your foils or whatever yeah. it may be? So I'm one, if I'm not one to ponder, like okay. if I have an idea, I'm going to do it or not. It's really that simple. And from idea to doing it is not long. I would say I have an idea and if I can't action it within a week, I'm not going to do it. Oh, wow. um, so like I get really frustrated if my team can't action something for me immediately. I'm like, how does it take six weeks to strategize anything? Like what the yeah. fuck are you doing? Um, <laughs> I get so passionate about it. So the foil, I mean, Incomplete transparency. I was using another brand yep. and using my name. And when I asked for payment, they said no. Um, mm. 
So I was not happy about that, as you can imagine. Um, and I think that she was being extremely unfair. Um, I wish so your well. name was on the foils. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't previously asked for payment because I thought it was good um, marketing for me as well. Yeah. But it got to the point where there was so, so, they were selling so much. It's like my name's on that. That's like not a okay. That's why no, it's selling. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that like her brand identity and mine were helping to sell it together, not just mine. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, fuck you. I'm going to do my own. Um, and I, I made sure I did different sizes and all that kind of stuff. I didn't want to blatantly copy because yeah. I don't believe in that. Um, but, and I do believe my sizes are better for my coloring because um, I work in halves now and all that kind of stuff. So it was really simple, actually. Like we just contacted a couple of aluminium foil suppliers um, mm. in China and we got some samples and it was like done. So you just like Google aluminum for, I don't say aluminum, aluminum. <laughs> aluminum. Um, you just literally like Google that or that's, that's where you have a team. Like say, I don't have a team where, how do I get these? Contacts? You can go on to, um, I mean, you can just Google it or Alibaba is a great website to like source for suppliers in China. Um, and then they, they send you a whole booklet of what they can make for you and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, I guess the reality is there are a few big foil brands that contain a large majority of the market. And then those suppliers won't actually make you foil for you to they sell. Have a contract, their contract's yeah. too big, um, which is like so fine. Um, but it, because I changed my sizing, um, I get my, large, my extra large foil from one company and I get my medium and small foil from another company. Okay, cool. um, so it's a bit like all over the place right now. And do you but think then- that that's really important is having these separate little, I heard it the other day in another interview, like honeypots, like, you know, you have your foil, your product, your thing that those are the things that make it successful for you because you have. Yeah. I mean, I guess with the foil part, like I'm saving an en- enormous amount of money just by having my salons use my foil. Yeah. Right? Because you're getting that so- at cost. Yeah. So even if I don't retail it to other salons, I'm still saving 40 or 50 grand a year because mm-hmm. my team's using my foil. That's something uh, I learned from Candy with her balayage lightener. She said, even at the end of the day, in my own salon, that's all that we use. So even if it didn't take off, it was something that was going to be profitable and practical for me. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And same that goes with my products as well. Like products were a lot harder to develop. Um, And I use a company in Sydney um, who then sources everything for me. Um, And I made all my products from scratch. Um, So the first one took like nine months to make and cost me 80 grand. Oh, wow. Um, So it wasn't cheap. Um, And do you get a loan for that again? Or are you at a point where you don't need to do that anymore? Like, Oh, no, I still need to do it. But I didn't get that. I had my my own money saved. Yeah. I did just get a new loan though, just in case everyone's wondering, yeah. um, to open another we salon. <laughs> we love to know everything here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, even if my, my, my products are in Mecca, which I'm very grateful for, and that does really well. It's amazing. But I, I am on a, um, a exclusive um, deal with them. So other people can't, can't stop my product unless they already have an account now. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. That's a little limiting, but... Again, like even if other salons don't stock my product, I get that product at cost yeah. for my salons. So smart. So then yeah. my like my brand absorbs in all the profit from that. 
Um, so that's really cool. So even if it doesn't take off, I will still carry it in my mm -hmm. salon. Yeah. Um, and with that, because my margin is there's a lot of margin, I'm able to pay my staff more commission on those products because uh, my margin is so big. Totally. Because say in a, in a commission base, it's like the product gets doubled and then that's 25% maybe for the staff and 25% for you. But because you're already, you are the 50%, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. sometimes my math <laughs> but I get it <laughs> now something that also while we're on the topic topic of product when you have stuff in your salon that is you have quite a diverse range of product and yeah. what was the incentive behind that and also having virtue the first person that I heard of using that was you here right. in Australia like where do you get these um things that are more advanced kind of like that you you're bringing in and sourcing and seeing yeah first um i'm always on the hunt for um better performing products yeah. um virtue for me is like one of the best performing products on the market yeah um and their science they're backed by science and their science is quite fucking incredible yeah. um i actually found out about virtue through um liz jung who i flew to australia from the u.s to do a class for my team Oh, wow. um, and I started using it and I was like, wow, this stuff's like really, really good. Yeah. Um, so I got in contact with Virtue directly and now we just buy it directly from them in the US and import it in. Yeah. Um, because we order such large quantities and I mean, by, we do $100,000 at a wow. time, basically. Um, so uh, everything is compact and our costs are lowered so that we're able to order that amount. Yeah. Um, if you're a smaller salon and you're ordering it, it's probably not as cost effective to ship yeah, it in from the not. US and retail yeah. it. Um, but because we're ordering such large amounts. But I do believe that they have a, um, a what are they called? A wholesaler in Australia now, mm. soon. I believe they got one lined up. Um, and then in terms of like the other brands, so I think I carry seven different brands in the salon. Um, and we're about to pick up another one, which is called Bread, which is for Afro curly textured oh. hair. Um, so we just make sure that we cater to every price point. And by, I don't mean to a $10 product, yeah. our lowest product is like $22. Um, so that, then that's in 11 Australia. And yeah. then we just go up to Kevin Murphy and then we go up to Shuramira. And then we have Redkin as well in like some parts of Redkin, which ranges yeah. from 30 to 40. Um, and then we've got my, my range, which sits at like the mid premium level, um, yeah. So we just make sure that we cater to every price point. We cater to different age brackets of what people might use. For example, you know, a 50-year-old woman is probably not going to buy 11 because of how it looks, right? Mm. But a 22-year-old client will buy 11 because of how it yeah. looks. So we just make sure that we are able to cater to every type of client that might walk through our door. And do those ideas come from your brain? Like these business ideas, that's a business brain talking, being like, oh, I need yeah. to cater to the, does those, are those things that have come to you naturally or by having yeah. other people working with you that you pick up stuff? Like do you have a business? Um, I mean, I, a lot of that stuff for me does come quite naturally, I'm, which I'm so grateful for. But I, I'm constantly thinking, how what would my client want, mm -hmm. right? So I'm, I'm a huge consumer. I'm like a deadly consumer. I go buy, I get, I see Facebook ads and I buy, right? <laughs> uh, they work. They work. Um, so, you know, and my client varies from um, straight hair to Afro hair from 20 to 60. Um, so I have a very diverse clientele. 
And I'm, I, I'm always thinking, how can I make that, like, that person's experience even better? Do I cater to her and her needs? Then yeah. I get my next client in who's the polar opposite of the first one. Then I ask myself the same question. Then I put myself in their shoes. And I think that's what people have stopped doing now. And I yeah. believe that's the, one of the like, success factors of Edwards & Co. I'm constantly thinking about my client and what they want, um, no matter who they are. Um, so I think by doing that, it's allowed me to cater to a much more diverse clientele and they keep coming back because of it. So cool. Love that. Has there been a moment that you thought you wouldn't come back from? Like, I think something that has been very vocal is people's maybe lack of respect for you and the the business or, you know, things like that. It, it's real. It's true. Like, is there stuff that you felt like so um hard done by or something that you weren't going to come back from or a business decision that you thought was the end of you or um like I mean the first COVID the lockdown in Melbourne was pretty brutal but I would say anything outside of COVID has never made me feel I might not come back from yeah um you know people are vocal about me and like what they think I do um but I guess the reality is my consumers don't hear that yeah. My clients don't hear mm, that. They, they're not in the hair group. Up. They're not in our our world. That's such a yeah. good point. You know, so I I know my clients will always come back. Um, yeah. I value my clients hugely and they invest so much into me, but they're not following those people. They're following me. Mm. Uh, and I think that those people forget that. I forget that too at times. Yeah. I definitely forget that. Um, and it's just, I just need a gentle reminder that, like my clients are my clients and no matter what those forums say, all those people over there posting about me say, um, my clients aren't seeing that, um, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just think when I moved here, the biggest draw for me was an Edwards and co situation in Australia. And you know, that brand, those are the photos that in Canada I was showing for my own hair and you know, all those yeah. things and that in your salon, you have your own education to, you know, your stylists at it are at a very high caliber and level within the industry that people yeah. are wanting to work there for that. And I think it is really um, exciting for someone like me seeing your business model, having different structures within one business. You don't always have to be on an hourly rate. Do you find that no. hard to manage though? Like how do you keep track of who's on what pay structure and like, Oh shit, I paid her hourly and she's a commission. Or if you have that many yeah, staff no. and. It's all pretty um, simple to keep track of. Like I have an accounts person, obviously, so he, that's his job to keep track yeah. of it. Um, but I mean, it's all, it works cohesively together. Do we have people swapping from hourly over to commission? Yes, we do all the time. Do we have people who are on commission wanting chair rent all the time? Do we allow everyone to do it? No, we don't. Mm. Um, it is a case by case basis. Um, and, you know, people who are employed by us then want to go freelance because they realize that it has more financial freedom and it does have more financial freedom, but it also has more financial um, restrictions in terms of tax, GST, products, yeah. all that kind of stuff, which they all fail to realize, become a freelancer. And then like, fuck, I didn't know all this. I'm like, exactly. Totally. 
which is what that conversation recently within the industry has been so much about and being like that it's this thing but there is a very large demographic of people who do who do not want to be freelance for that reason and they will always want to be an hourly employed staff member because they have no um incent they have no um inkling to want to do those things of doing the business and doing the bookings and all of that I don't think you're ever going to lose people who want an hourly rate or to be an employer. No, I don't think that would be the case. And I think that as well, I mean, if you are on an hourly rate, there is a limit to what you can be paid. And I say that because if say, for example, you want to be paid $100,000 a year, I don't know what the hourly rate is. For a salon, that means you would have to bring in approximately $300,000 to $350,000 a year in revenue. Yeah. Um, to be able to afford that salary, which, you know, like that, if you could uh, bring in that income, you would get paid that 100%. Yeah. Um, but that would have to be consistent. Like you would have to consistently make that average weekly amount, whatever that might be. I think it, like, what would it be? Um, at 10 grand a week. No, sorry. That's wrong. Anyway, whatever the figure is, my brain's not working yeah. right now. Um, yeah, like I'm around $7,000 a week. <laughs> Pretending I'm doing that. <laughs> $7,000 a week on average a week to be able yeah. to afford that type of salary. Um, so for it to go up from there, that means the income that you bring in would also need to go up. All the value that you bring to the business would need to increase as well. Yeah. Um, so past that point, though, if you can't increase what you bring in, then obviously you need to change the structure of which you're working at. So whether that be changing over to freelance commission, um, which we do 50-50 split, um, and that includes your assistance, the foil, all the color, includes everything you'll ever need. But then we don't have to pay PAYG, payroll tax, yeah. um, superannuation, all that kind of stuff. So it evens out. Yeah. Um, or then you can um, go to a chair rent, but the thing is, I think salons forget that it's rent a chair. Yeah. Not rent two chairs. Yeah. Rent a chair. Totally. Um, and in that one chair, you can do one client at one time. Yeah. Um, otherwise, if you allow them to use more than one chair, then you need to charge them for more than one chair. Otherwise, it will not be profitable. Yeah. Um, and I think hairstylists and salon owners forget that part during totally. business. It's I did profitable. until I went out on my own. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so it's like, there's pros and cons to each model, right? Yeah. As a chair rent, you can use one chair, one client at a time. You're limited to what you can bring in as a 50, 50 splint. You have no limit. You can work as many clients as you want to work. You have access to assistance. Everything's covered. It's just a clean 50, 50 split. Um, and then like as an employee, you, you then have a limit on what you can earn based on the amount of income that you bring into the salon. Yeah. So I'm not going to pay someone a hundred thousand dollars. Who's only bringing in $150,000 a year to the salon. Yeah. That would make no sense at all. Yeah. Um, but I think I these think- conversations are so important for people to hear because I don't think a lot of stylists think like that. Like, you know, we can yeah. get greedy or, you know, I see my figures coming in every week and I'm bringing in $4,000 a week and my paycheck's $800. Where's the math in that? But I guess when you do yeah. expand that onto a yearly um, salary yeah. and a yearly revenue, you have to be aware. But I think a lot of hairstylists either don't know the numbers and don't know that. I think that's something that's always been annoying for employees, employers of myself that 
I, I like that. I need to see those numbers to be motivated and to understand like, Oh, like that's where this times 3.5 or whatever is going. And I mean, that 3.5 number is a very general um, average that the industry uses, right? You don't have to adhere to that number. Um, we like to use a variation of that number. Yeah. Um, but it's like, for me, if someone says, okay, I'm getting paid $60,000, but I want to be paid $75,000. And I I'll be, I can look at their figures and be like, okay, you're bringing in $4,000 a week. I need that to increase to $5,000 a week consistently for two months. And then I will give you what you want. Yeah. Um, so I, if someone comes to me and they want that, but their figures don't speak that, then I will give them a plan on how they can get what they want. Cool. which I think you need to have because if you don't have somebody telling you how to get there how are you supposed to know yeah absolutely and I think like I mean I have um different managers and stuff like a COO right now and stuff like that and that's something I had to like kind of like teach them I'm like okay you need to put yourself in their shoes they're earning like a relatively average salary right now. And they're asking for an increase because they believe they deserve it. And we should believe they deserve it too. But if their figures don't say that, then we need to give them a plan to get there. Otherwise, if you just say no, they will leave and they will go somewhere else. How do you find that with having such a large salon? I think something that the hair industry is kind of known for and you hear a lot of clients be like, oh my God, there's always new people in here. Like, how do you how do you find that with staff and keeping staff yeah. and losing staff and yeah i would say that okay in the last 3 months i've never lost more staff ever mm-hmm. like i've had, i've lost i think 10 people in 3 months wow. and usually my turnover rate it sits at 8% so very very low um and that's down to a, bit, a little bit of mismanagement from some people in my business mm-hmm. um, and us not giving people a career, a clear career path. Um, so I t- we take responsibility for that. Um, but it is really hard to not take it personally, especially when you've trained them, you've invested in them. Um, but at the end of the day, if someone doesn't want to work for you, they just don't want to work for you. There's nothing wrong with that. And the positive to that is it gives other stylists the opportunity to step up. So I really, really try and make myself focus on the newer people being able to step up because they could be better. Yeah. They probably are. So why would I not want to focus on that rather than all my energy into those who have left? Yeah. I think something that I've heard from you and from people who I know who have worked for you and do or don't now work for you is that you have said that you celebrate people moving on and opening their own salon or things like that. And it's something that I find so hard to understand when it's not you just leaving to go work at the salon next door, how that isn't, how are you then like blocked and deleted and, you know, all these things like, I think that that's something that stuck with me that I have heard from you that you have been okay in those moments. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I have had moments where I've not been okay with it. Um, Especially if I feel disrespected, I like turn on, turn on people if I feel disrespected. Um, But, you know, for example, Natalie, um, she opened her own salon in Melbourne and she was with us for like five years. Incredible colorist. Like couldn't speak more highly of her. Um, and she was just so respectful of how she did it. She's yeah. like, I'm going to go open my own salon. Um, it's not near yours. Like, I just want to say how thankful I am for you teaching me everything. I was, went to her salon last week and to say hello. Yeah, which is beautiful, um, that, that 
relationship to be able to have because at the end yeah. of the day you were that person you wanted to have your own dreams I can't help it that I have visions that I don't want to work for you forever sorry you know totally. yeah yeah and I think like every business owners need to realize that that, that was them yeah. that was that was me yeah. I left employment of someone to go and do my own thing. Yeah. Um, but like, I, don't get me wrong. Like I said, there have been times where I have reacted in a probably not okay way mm-hmm. towards people who have left for various reasons. Yeah. Um, but I do my best to try and celebrate because if they're leaving to go and do their own thing because of what you have taught them, you have done your job Yeah. and you have done it well. So you should yeah. celebrate that for you and them. What's the next thing for you? Like, obviously it's hard in these times to see the light at the end of the tunnel maybe, but do you have something that, you know, is there still all these wheels turning of ideas and what's next and where to go? When does it stop? It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't stop. My head is constantly going. Um, So I'm opening up a brand new blow dry bar, Um, a brand, a new brand called Blow by Edwards & Co. It's spelled B-L-O-E. Um, and the first one will be in Byron Bay. So we just signed the lease. I'm doing that in partnership with one of my stylists from the Byron Bay salon. Cool. Um, so she came to me and was like, I'm bored. Like yeah. I need something else. And I was like, let's open a blow dry bar and let's franchise it. Let's make it big. Um, so the first one will be in Byron Bay. The second one will be in Brisbane. So we'll focus on Queensland first. Um, and then we'll spread to the other um, states. Um, and then... I'm also like the booth rent salon. That's something that's in the pipelines. Yeah. I can't use my own money for that and I can't get finance for that. So it'll have to be investors because it's like much bigger scale. Okay. I'm waiting on those investors to come back to me to whether or not they are able to do it. And that's just Uh, people you reach out to in your circle of people that you know and that's how those things happen. Um, And then like another one of my um, employees... I won't say who that is yet because he hasn't told anyone, but he's asked to go in partnership with a business venture. Um, so he will def- I'm going to open two more um, salons definitely wow. with this year. It'll be um, in Melbourne, in um, like South Yarra around there, oh, yeah. or Cremorne. Cremorne my favorite suburb in Melbourne. I love it there. Oh, cool. um, and then Perth. We will 100% wow. do Perth this year. Um, so that's really exciting. I really, I'm so excited to do Perth because yeah. I just know that, that like I'll have so many stuff there and there's, there's ta- the talent that comes Perth, Perth is outrageous. Yeah. There's outrageous. Talent, like, Every time I find somebody, I'm like, oh, fuck, I love this or whatever. Like I'm like, oh, Perth, everybody is over there. Who's so good. What's happening? It's happening in the water besides the sharks over there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then just expanding the product. So I've got three more products coming in October, the invisible hydration, shampoo, conditioner, and mask. Um, and then after that, I've got three more styling products. Love it. Well, I just like really appreciate you giving me the time one, but also like you've really inspired me and kept me going and changed the way that I think about, you know, my potential and what I can do and fuck, if he can do it, we can do it. Like you really, and I think it is something to, to note that you, don't always have people who are always cheering you on and that you're doing it and you're doing a really good job and it's really inspiring a lot of us. So thank you. I appreciate that. No worries. Any, (laughs) any final thoughts, anything last minute that you want to spit out? Uh, I think we covered so much. Um, And I think people, I think the best thing about these is people always still wonder, Um, you know, and if you are wondering, just reach out to me. 
and ask me rather than assume because mm. assuming that I do something or that I am some type of person won't help you. Um, so if you are wondering, just send me a DM. Yeah. I'm always open to talking. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing it with me on a Sunday. I really appreciate it and am grateful that we've had the opportunity to finally do this. I was sometimes I'm like, people must think I'm so annoying because I just DM and DM and DM and then I send an email and then I send another DM and then I send an email (laughs) (laughs) to like get you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Well, thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of your Melbourne stay. Yeah, I will. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Successful Stylist Unfoiled. If you made it this far, I hope that it means you enjoyed the episode. If you did, the most helpful thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's greatly appreciated, and I hope that you'll join me next week on The Successful Stylist Unfoiled.